Barney and Friends. Barney Simon. Decoranda FM. Oh, third world, try Jalove. Uh, good memories. Uh, was it easy to perform that uh, song live, uh, Joe Parker? Um, yeah, because it's got a nice groove, mm-hmm. eh? Um, and it's uh, I suppose a more commercial type of reggae. Uh, and the band, the guys who were working with the band, were just so much fun to work with. You know, so it was easy to do that, that sort of thing. All right, after the Merchant Navy. Mm. Uh, uh, then obviously you thought, you know, I could stay on and do this permanently mm. because it looks like you really enjoyed that time. Yeah. Um, were you a funny guy then already? Yeah. <laughs> I I'd, I'd started playing the guitar in high school. Mm. Um, and uh, what I did when I was in the Merchant Navy, on all the ships I worked on, I used to do parodies of pop songs and write words about the people on the ship, you know, about <laughs> and our experiences and all that. I used to love it, you know. Uh, and, and I just thought, well, I'd just do that for fun. And then I remember one night um, – we were in Durban, and we went up to the uh, Keg and Tankard at the Astro Hotel, and Gary and Spider were working there. And uh, one of the guys on the ship said, look, this guy can play the guitar. Can he play in the break? <laughs> so I said, look, I, I caught me by surprise. So I got up and I sang a couple of songs. People enjoyed it. So I thought, hey, hang on. There might be something in that. Mm. Uh, but didn't pursue it because I was still in the Merchant Navy then. And that was the first little exposure I'd had to being on stage. And... How I got into show business, I'm presuming that's going to be one of the questions you're going to ask yep. me now. I had um, gotten married in Port Elizabeth, my first wife, because be, I've, I've done this a couple of times. And I'm pretty cool about it. I'm not talking about it because I'm very chilled about it, you know. But uh, I was living in, in Port Elizabeth, and one of my best mates in show business, a guy called Elaine D. Wolfe, was working at the Markham Hotel there, a place called The Drink a Drink. And uh, he was, and I, everyone told me about the, this area. And I, I, I wanted to get, in, I wanted to get his opinion because I thought I'd, I wanted to do, to sing and do music. So I went down and auditioned for him during the daytime, in the venue. And he said, "Oh, you can sing and you can play the guitar. Come down and play my breaks." And he was doing comedy and music, and he was quite a guy in the '60s and '70s. So they got up and I did about four songs, and they loved it. So I thought, "Dang, I could do this," you know. But still, no idea that I'd finish up doing comedy, but. Elaine was doing comedy. And um, eventually, we, this was very quick. I got in there. Of course, all the people left because he was no longer there. But I played a lot, nicked all his gags, and started <laughs> doing comedy. And then over a period of time, obviously, my own comedy started uh, coming through. But I played a lot of music. And whenever the comedy wasn't, music, uh, wasn't working, I would sing. We're going back a long time now, but do you still remember some of those jokes you told? The first time oh. you actually stood up in front of a live audience – uh, tell us one of the jokes that you told uh, on that specific Ooh, night, if you a, can remember. That's that's quite difficult to remember the the jokes. I mean, there there would be like um, Irish, you know, the typical English and Irishman, Scotsman. And yeah. I'm trying to I'm I'm now censoring myself because I don't, don't want to use some unfortunate language. By the way, back in the the seventies, you could not. You know, use the F word on stage. Mm. I mean, now it's almost like punctuation now. But mm. you had to be very careful how you spoke and what you said. And 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 you know, doing jokes about sex were were or even politics and religion were just mm. so no no. You know, so I'm just thinking about you know, you could do tr- jokes about drunks and uh, you know, it's very, and once again, to tell a joke on radio, <laughs> yeah, I know, is, is not easy because mm. there's no audience and you re- rely quite a lot on the dynamic of. 
you and people mm. to make to bring this whole thing to life. So to to tell one of the jokes, I'd really have to sift through my memory, and maybe if you'd told me before, and would have pulled one out. But it's not that funny on radio for some reason. You know, yeah, I would have laughed. I'm sure you would have laughed. You would have been forced to laugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You haven't even told the joke and we're laughing. But yeah. but uh, it must be an amazing feeling to stand up. You walk on there. You tell your first joke and you're ready. You can read the, the when you walk in there, the atmosphere and whatever. Mm. Uh, when you started out, did you feel that as well? You know, there's a bit of a vibe behind this uh, venue and I think I'm going to pull it off. Your first joke and also when you walk on the body language and the way you look at people, if they laugh at you while you're walking on, I mean, do you think you've cracked it then already, broken okay. the ice? That what what you're talking about now was something that happened much later because when mm. I first started doing this, I you know people would be sitting drinking and I just get up there quietly and sit on a bar stool and sing a song. So my kind of um, opening gambit with this audience was a song, mm. and they might politely clap or they might ignore me, in which case I'd sing another song and eventually I'd say good evening. So I had a I I didn't have to be funny straight away. Yeah, right in the early days, but. In a very very short space of time, I was it, I was under huge pressure to do that a lot. Um, in fact, within I, I started in 1971 and um, went to army in 1973. I was quite a bit older because I'd been married and lived in the UK in 1975-76. When I came back, I mean, you know, it it really that was really, when it really started. Uh, we were doing four hours a night, singing, talking nonsense, four hours a night. Six nights a week, 12 months a year. So, sure. you know, I've spent a lot of time on stage. So that, I think, prepared me and helped me feel comfortable with the idea of being up in front of people. I don't fear that at all. You know, a lot of people are really worried about how they look and what they sound like. And um, and uh, when you talk about going on stage, it was only really sort of the mid to late 70s where I would go on stage to do cabaret, which is like a 45-minute thing where you actually now standing in front of an audience and what you said immediately, the first thing you said was very, very important. And you, over time, you learn how to use that first two or three minutes to assess exactly who these people are, what they're going to respond to. And I mean, it didn't happen immediately. It takes a lot of time, mm -hmm. you know, and so I'm very comfortable being on stage. And I found I'm, I'm very easy with that. So if the audience so aggressive, it doesn't faze me. If they're not listening, I'll find a way of doing it. You know, I'm not worried too much about that, you know, because... I think because of the fact that people know who I am, they trust me with the comedy, even if I'm not particularly fantastic that night, you know, it's okay. You know, they're very comfortable with that. Um, so trust is very important. They've got to like you. I think if you reasonably charming, if you smile a lot, you know, that opens lots and lots of doors. So it makes the comedy easier immediately once you've made that contact. And cabaret, did you? I mean, you did a lot of shows in mm. your day. Uh, yeah. What was that like for you? Um, did you did you think at that stage this is what uh, you're going to get into theatre and stuff like that, or movies and stuff maybe instead of comedy? But uh, cabaret is very difficult as mm. well. Huh? You have to be super fit, mm -hmm. and you have to think on your feet feet yeah. the whole time yeah. and precision. You know, that's yeah. very important. And and it's a very different environment to the comedy clubs because, you know, people it was in those days it was very formal. People are having dinner and, you know, they'd spent a lot of money and it would cost them at that time a lot of money to come to these places. And you get up and you do your uh, 45 minutes and you had to be good. There was a structure. You've got to get up there, open up. You normally open up with a song. Uh, told a few gags. Told another story. Uh, sorry, sang another song. And you'd finish 
I used to always finish with a thing called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which was a kind of impression of old uh, Western movie songs, which involved sound effects and whistling and all that type of thing. So it was a nice, spectacular finish, uh, but totally different to what I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, but th- that was part of you know the, the, my early time, the first 14 years of what I was doing, um, spent on stage talking a lot of nonsense, singing a lot of music, and then finishing with things like you know, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Do you still remember the biggest show you ever did? In that uh, during that period, um, the biggest show I ever did was probably just after I got off the circuit. I did. Uh, I don't know if you remember in the nineteen eighty five eighty six they had the concert in the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, um, Martin Locke used to run them, and I wasn't involved in the first one, but I did the second one, which was a stupid thing to do because of like eighty thousand people at Ellis Park, and we were supposed to, you know, the comedians supposed to do the links between the bands, and uh, I remember being on stage with Mike Mills. In fact, my first my first spot, I had to do two five-minute spots. The first spot I got up there, thought I'd do comedy. Big mistake, 80,000 people. Drunk people. <laughs> totally drunk and stoned and, you know, whatever. And then uh, I got up there and, and, and chose the wrong – I had a character I used to do on stage with a band, uh, uh, Sorrel Kleinfeld, dressed in a safari suit with a stupid hat on and an idiot, you know. And uh, within a minute, it, uh, there was – Hamburgers and cokes flying out of the audience. I mean, it wasn't wasn't pleasant. Mm. But I, you know, those things either they're going to flatten you, or you're going to go. You know what? It's just what it is. Are you on the, the that video that they released? Bits and pieces. Remember the? I think they brought in no, a I DVD. The first, I think that they, they did it with the first one. Not they the might, well, I've done the second one. In fact, I hope I hope if there is one out there, I'd love to see that because that was the most terrifying moment of my career. <laughs> Horrible. But uh, hey, at least you met all the superstars backstage. You know, <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and uh, do you remember doing cabaret, the worst show? You know, one night. You walked on there, and from the beginning, it just oh. didn't work, didn't work. And how did you yeah. get out of it? One, well, in it was happened actually in the UK when I was uh, did a. In those days, you had to do two sets, two twenty-minute sets, and uh, I was working a place in Leicester, um, I'd driven up from London, and um, you know, I'd always worked that in South Africa. You start good, and then you build up to big climax, but there didn't realize actually your first had, set had to be really good. Otherwise, they paid you off, didn't, and they wouldn't bring you back for the second one. So I, I had my big finish ready in the second set, and I died badly in the first set. And they just said, "Look, here's your money." So I got in my car, drove back to London. It was horrible, you know. It was almost like you know being told that you were being shot in dawn, you know. Um, so that was that was fairly traumatic, and that had happened in the in the seventies, and, and then something happened in the nineties, which was. It was very, very hard, but you know what? It makes you uh, very, very. It gives you thick skin. Mm. You know, you makes learn you stronger. Huh? Definitely. Yeah. All right, uh, we're going to take a bit of a break, and then tears for fears. And we're going to ask uh, Joe what that song is all about, what it means to him. Uh, with uh, everybody wants to rule the world, if Joe Parker was in charge of South Africa, I wonder what he would have done today. Barney and friends. Barney Simon.